You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Sam. You can be seated. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Um, I get the privilege now of having the microphone and reciprocating that honour um, to you. Uh, I want to just thank Pastor Sam and Carolina because they continue, despite me having my big ego, that they continue to give me a an opportunity to develop my gifts and talents, and uh, I get the privilege of walking beside Pastor Sam and Carolina every week, and um, the thing that, that astounds me is their consistency. Um, they're just the same. No matter what setting you find them in, they're amazing, so I want to honour Pastor Sam and Kay for that. Can we give our lead pastors a round of applause? And I want to I honour someone else tonight who's here, my mum, uh, because she's made the big trip from the south side here. Um, thanks, mum. Thank you for instilling in me a deep love for not only the Word of God, but also His presence. Um, And watching you grow up, as I grew up, um, (laughs) love His Word and love His presence, um, that that left an impression on me that I still bear to this day. So thank you. Uh, Tonight, Red Letters, and uh, we get to look at this incredible theme. And I think just uh, the words that come to mind is nervous excitement because of what God could do with this theme if we got it on the inside of us. These are the very words of God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And uh, if you took the Bible uh, and you took all four Gospels uh, and you took out all the double-ups and you married it all together of the four Gospels, put it all together and took out all the double-ups because some of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, refer to the same story. So if you took it all out, all the double-ups, you would find that the red letters actually account for just under 50% of the Gospels. And I think that's significant that the authors of these four accounts of Jesus' life um, had it of such an importance that it had to make up at least or nearly 50%, nearly half of what we read is actually what Jesus himself has said to us about the kingdom, about the Father, about uh, the coming of this new establishment of his kingdom, about how to relate to God, how to relate to each other, um, how we're to do this life in Christ. And so uh, I'm excited to preach this. And the Bible describes Jesus as the Word in flesh. So we're coming around the words of the Word. Um, And I think that's significant because when the Bible refers to God, it shows us, uh, when the Bible refers to Jesus, it shows him as at the beginning of everything, the uh, outworking of God, God's word in creation. So creation was made through Christ. Uh, And so we're believing that in this series, that same creative power is at work as we look at these red letter words, and it might actually create something in your life, do something in your change, do something to change your world uh, that we might know Christ better. Uh, And Dave did such a fantastic job this morning. Um, and I, I want to encourage you all to get that podcast because that was a, just a brilliant setup for this morning. Uh, but I want to kick it off tonight looking at the passage that I believe uh, it is what God's put on my heart to preach. And that's in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, we're bringing our Bibles this month. Anyway, give me a wave if you got your Bible. My wife doesn't like it when I, when I hit it. She's like said to me before when I'm sitting on the sitting on the seat with her. She goes, don't you think the Word of God took enough of a beating already? And I was like, oh, babe, that's a zinger. Well done. Um, 
Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospels. Now, most scholars agree that Mark was actually the first um, gospel, gospel account to be written. So what we're reading here is actually the first red letters that we have recorded ever. And I think that's significant, that, that these are the words that Jesus chose to be first recorded because we believe that Scripture was divinely inspired by God. So the author of Mark is operating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and by an accurate account of what actually took place, these are Jesus' first words that we know of. And this is what he chose to set the platform for what would take place for the rest of the story of Jesus. I think it was very intentional and we're going to just dissect this Verse, this little single verse together um, and see what Jesus is saying to us. And I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's actually defining the terms and conditions of his earthly ministry. So tonight the title of my message is called New Terms and Conditions, or if you're hip like the young people are, New T's and C's. New T's and C's. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your gospel, that it is the power of God to change lives, to save those, Father. I thank you that this is not a word just to tickle ears, but God, it is a word to bring salvation, miracles, life, and transformation in your mighty name. And everyone who agreed said, amen Amen and amen. Terms and conditions, they are the things that we agree to. They're, uh, I guess, an understanding of the words and context of an agreement that we go into with maybe a a service or a person. Um, You might be familiar with Apple's terms of conditions. Um, Maybe maybe there's, you don't understand this, but there's terms and conditions everywhere we go. Uh, Even on the, I want to show this, this is on someone's doorbell. Uh, It says, door knockers, please note, this household charges a $50 per minute to listen to sales pitches, religious messages, and fundraising stories. Uh, this charge is payable up front by knock, knocking on this door and ringing this bell. You, us, you signal your agreement with the terms outlined above. Unless you're selling girl guide cookies, their charges are waived. Okay? <laughs> uh, so the cookies must be good. Obviously, that's in America. Uh, Apple uh, has terms and conditions. Who's, who's clicked I agree? Come on. just. Or, I'm sure Samsung has the equivalent, but it's just not as holy. Uh, <laughs> We just click agree. Don't we? This, is, uh, this is the iOS update um, for iOS 7. So this is a couple ones back. We're now on iOS 11.3. Um, this is what it says. Is it on this? Can you read that? Yeah. Good. Okay. It says, um, transfer, you may not lend, lease, um, rent, sell, or redistribute, um, sub-license the iOS software. You may, however, A, oh, you know what? This is page 46. Nobody's really reading this. I bet only five people have clicked read terms and conditions in the first place. We might as well say anything we like. Tony on floor five of Apple HQ smells of sardines. Uh, someone, when someone sends a funny email around the office, we have to reply with, I laughed. Uh, it's in our job description. Uh, remember, to, remember the legal kerfuffle with Apple and Apple Studios? Uh, you know how we fix it? We bought the Beatles. Uh, the remaining surviving ones, they sing for us for scraps. Um, we're looking at a way to reanimate the dead ones. 
the canteen sm- only sells apple products. Apples, apple juice, apple flapjacks, toffee apples. We get fired if we're caught eating anything, but ap- anything without apples in it. I'm allergic to apples and I'm always so hungry. Um, we faked the moon landings, did it in 2008, then brainwashed you all to believe it happened in 1969 uh, just because we could. If anyone finds out I've leaked this information, I'll be killed, but no one will ever know because no one ever reads this. B, uh, you may not retain any copies, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, this actually turned out to be a, a joke done by the Huffington Post in the UK, but it does paint a pretty good description that at page 46, let's be honest, who's reading Terms and Conditions? Um, maybe we should all go back and actually look at what we've agreed to. Romy probably understands the significance of this, being a lawyer, but we should know. But I think it would be far more significant to know what potentially Jesus is saying if he is, in fact, laying out for us the terms and conditions of his earthly ministry. We're going to dissect this this simple, single uh, scripture tonight. And I want to break it into three, maybe four sections as we go. The first section I want to look at is this. The time is fulfilled. This is uh, Jesus strategically playing on a term that is very common or was very common in Jewish culture. The time is fulfilled because the Jewish people or the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, whatever you want to call them, were waiting in anticipation for a time when the Messiah would be sent from God to take them out of their current situation and circumstance. They're waiting anticipation. They're waiting for this Messiah to come and relieve them of the oppression that they were under. Jesus' birth, uh, that of a virgin, uh, his life, his coming death as we sit in the context of this scripture, and his coming resurrection would all be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and scripture. So he's saying, what Jesus is essentially saying is the time is fulfilled. All that stuff that has led up to this moment is now complete. Yeah. It's done. I, I, I'm bringing you all up to speed on where we're at in God's great narrative with the Israelite people. This is where we're up to. It is fulfilled. And as a result... Uh, the people are now beginning to understand, or the Israelite people, those who are listening to him at this point, are beginning to understand, well, this this guy might be saying something far more significant than we're we're led to believe. If it is, in fact, fulfilled, what he's saying is that the promise that was made to Abraham in that uh, God would make a nation and that nation would be God's chosen people and through those people, God would make himself known to the world, this now is coming to pass right now in our midst. That's significant. Jesus is saying, this is, this, is not only, uh, this is not only where we're up to in the story, but now that part of the story is, is complete and finished. And now he sets up what the next part of our scripture is tonight, is the context of a new agreement. The next context is that the, ki- uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven, in some other translation, says the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, and what Jesus is now saying is, you know what, These are the, this is the new context for a new agreement. Now, we know that that new agreement would be established in Jesus' death. Uh, and when he did the Last Supper, he said, a, a new agreement or, or a new covenant I make with you. This is my blood. This is my body. And so Jesus is setting up the context of what will be that new agreement by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus fulfilled the previous agreement. All the laws, all the old prophet. Uh, all the old prophecies. He, he said in Matthew, he said, I did not come to, uh, to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I came to not, not just like get rid of it. I came to be the absolute and complete fulfillment of it that you now can walk into a new agreement with God. This is what Jesus is setting up for us in this, in this verse. He's, he's painting a new picture and a new context for a new agreement that he's about to establish. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the previous agreement. Now this is the establishment of a new regime that the Israel people were familiar with. They understood the idea of a new kingdom coming into place. Their idea of the Messiah was that of a military king coming to overthrow Rome, which were, for them, they were under oppression of. So they're liking now the sound of this as it comes to out of Jesus' mouth. He's like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can kind of feel the anticipation with the, with the Israelites as they begin to go, oh, we're about to have a riot. You know, like this is how it's going down in their heads. But what they didn't understand, in fact, was that Jesus came as a servant. Jesus was definitely bringing in the kingdom of God, but it wasn't going to happen the way that they thought it was going to happen. And so then Jesus sets up this context. What they didn't expect is to see the king not coming in military power, but coming in the power of love, not to set them free from the oppression of Rome, but rather to set them free from the oppression of sin that was the greater evil of their heart. And was actually the true thing that separated them from God. So all of a sudden we're brought to the context of the next part of this scripture, which is repent and believe the gospel. And this statement is best understood if we look at it in reverse. The gospel. What is the gospel? Because we talk about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But what is the actual gospel message? Gospel simply means this. It means good news. Okay, well, Jesus would have us believe the good news. Great. What good news exactly is Jesus pointing to here? Jesus is asking us to believe the good news, the central focal point of his whole existence, in that in this is it, that he came to restore humanity back into relationship with God. That is what Jesus existed to do. That is what Jesus continues to exist to do to this day, is to bring us back into relationship with God. But in this this point, this moment in time, this moment in history, where God in flesh came to earth on your behalf and my behalf, now he's saying, this is what I'm about to do. This is what I'm setting up. The gospel is this, that Jesus came to restore and bring humanity back to relationship with God. He did this by paying the penalty for our sin, which separated us from God. Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 8 says, Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yet while we were this is how Christ showed his love for us. That while we were still sinners, in the midst of it, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still separated from God, while we had no reason for God to come in the midst of our situation and circumstance, Christ came and he died for us. That, is the central part of the gospel. You see, the sin that we committed that was inherent in us right from the fall with Adam and Eve, that sin had a paycheck. It had wages. Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. You and I, we somehow found ourselves in this narrative and unfortunately for you and for me, that is still was still our portion before Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This 
man. Now, can you see how this is beginning to build to the good news? That sin separated us from God, but Christ came in the midst of our sin to bring us eternal life through his death, which paid the wages of sin. So now the good news, the gospel is that even though, as, as Romans 3.23 says, that all have sinned, you, me, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, even though all of us have sinned, Christ came. He paid the penalty for that sin in his death and in his resurrection, that, that through that we might now have relationship with God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That now, when we once were separated from God, now we're brought back to God through Jesus. It paints a rather vivid picture of, that's quite different to the, what the world would have us believe about God, that he's this cosmic wet blanket that's uh, angry at everyone and just looking in on the world like a little kid would look at a fishbowl. That's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve sends his most beloved prized possession. His, I mean, I, I love y'all. But there's no way I'm sending Benaiah out on any of your behalf. I'll just be honest. Like, this is my son, my firstborn son, my only begotten firstborn son at the moment. Uh, I love you, but you're going to die and he's going to live and we're going to be fine, you know? But not God. That shows the heart of our Father, hey, in heaven, that he would give his son for you and for I, that we might now no longer be separated by sin, but would come into relationship through Jesus. That's good news. Come on, that's good news. I think this is illustrated really well in in a passage of Scripture a little later in Mark. You see, when we understand what Jesus has saved us from and what he brought us into, we understand now the new reality of the terms and conditions that he's brought us into and the establishment of the new kingdom that he has brought through his life, death and resurrection. He illustrates this really well in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, a little later on in the same chapter, 40, chapter uh, verse 40 to 45. And I'm going to read this story out to you. He says this. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Some other translations say moved with compassion or moved with anger. It, the, the, the original word is invoking this really deep sense of emotional angst. It, he, Jesus is moved. Moved with pity. Moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out. This is the the man who previously had leprosy, but now is free. He went out and began to talk freely about it. This is what happens when you you see the gospel. You, You just want to talk freely about it. Talk freely about it so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. We have this man in this story. He's a leper. Leprosy was this disease that uh, was actually not mostly the cause of death but was was basically a death sentence. Leprosy would cause you to be numb, to, to feel things. 
So what would happen is that in life, you would walk through life, you might get a scratch or a cut, or you might step on something, something might, you might get a splinter or something far more serious than a splinter. Uh, and, and what would happen is because you couldn't feel it, you didn't know that that, that that had happened. So you'd be bleeding or you might see blood and go, oh man, I have to deal with that. But you might not see some of the other injuries that you might have occurred. And so what would happen, particularly in this time and this day and age when uh, personal hygiene wasn't at its greatest in history, um, what would happen is that you'd actually die probably more likely from the infection of something rather than leprosy itself. And so what we have here is this picture of this man who's actually numb. And this kind of describes our situation in sin. We're numb. We're dead to, in sin. And Jesus comes on the scene. Now, this, this, this passage paints a picture of the leper coming to Jesus, but we must acknowledge that uh, in the original idea that Jesus first came to us. Jesus first came to that man as the leper because he came from heaven down to earth. Jesus rid himself of the absolute privilege and honor of being in heaven to come to earth to save us, to come to earth to restore relationship on our behalf. So Jesus now is in this scene and what should have been a, a case for stoning this leper for coming back into the realm of clean people, according to Jewish law, uh, actually turns out to be a scene for a miracle. Because Jewish law dictated that if you had leprosy, you were officially unclean. And that if you came within, the, as the Bible tells us, 50 paces of a clean person or clean community, you could be stoned. So we see this man in lepros with leprosy as numb, isolated, and unclean. Which kind of looks like our situation when we're in sin. Yeah. Numb isolated, cut off from God, and unclean. <laughs> it is a, but a grace of God that, we don't, that God didn't come near us in his holy nature because his very holiness cannot be near sin. And if that had been the case, we would have died. So by grace, God actually separated himself so that he wouldn't kill his creation. He actually separated himself so that we could live and he could outwork his planned purpose right from the foundation of the world in Jesus coming to rid us of sin and save us into relationship with God. So now I want to pull this apart just a little bit. I want to note two things, First, or three things. First, that Jesus came. And that is still the same for you and for I, that Jesus has come and we can acknowledge that, we can accept that, we can take hold of that. Two, Jesus made the leper clean. Now, normally if someone was unclean with leprosy and they touched someone who was clean previously, the person that they touched becomes unclean. But in this story, we see Jesus touch the man with leprosy and the leprosy is revoked, not Jesus' cleanliness. And the same is for us in our situation, that no matter how messy your past, wow. no matter how messy, what you could have walked off the streets tonight, you're still in mess, technically speaking. You know what? God isn't intimidated by your mess. God isn't intimidated by your past. He's not intimidated by what you might be walking out of. He might, he's not even intimidated by what you might currently still be walking in. His holiness, His love, His purity is greater than any mess you might have. And he is more willing to come into your mess and your situation and your circumstance and change your life to make you clean than he's ever worried about your mess coming onto him. Because your mess coming onto him just makes you clean. And it keeps him clean as well because he's pure, he's holy. 
The second thing I want to point out is that uh, the man with leprosy started in isolation, comes into contact with Jesus and ends in community with people. And Jesus is left in isolation on his behalf. Read it, read it again with me. Just verse 45, it says this. But he went out and began to talk freely. So he's in conversation with people. He's in confrontation and in contact with people to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. We see this image of Jesus taking our place. Where once we were in isolation, now Jesus comes and takes isolation on our behalf. And we get to enter into relationship with God and community with others. Can I tell you, if you're lonely, Jesus wants to change your loneliness? Can I tell you, if you're you're hurting and feeling isolated in in situations and circumstances, God wants to bring you near. God wants to bring you into relationship. He took your place. Not only in isolation, but also in death. He paid the price that you should have paid with your life and your blood. He paid it with his life and his blood. He took our place. This is the gospel. This is the good news. These are the new terms and conditions. And I have it put on a table for those of you who think in literary terms. Yes. Before the old, we came before God. The Old Testament said that we came and we brought sacrifices. We had to make ourselves right. We had to kill things and spill their blood that we could have temporary uh, peace with God. Now in the new, God comes to us in the form of Jesus. God in flesh comes to us on, 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 on an intention all of his own. He came to us. The old says that we were always doing. We had to always be better. We had to always do good. We had, there was always more to do to be perfect, to be right with God. In the new, Jesus said it's done. It's finished. Yeah. It's complete. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, in the old, we were far away. We were separated from God. But in the new, we're brought near. Yeah. We're brought close. We're brought into family and into adoption, the Bible says. In the old, we were broken, but in the new, we're whole and we're healed. In the old, we were fearful because we stood at at odds with God, but now we're fearless because God is on the inside of us. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. In the old, we were unworthy, but in the new, God makes us worthy. The Bible says that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In the old, we were worthless. Come on. Yeah. And in the new, we see through the actions of Jesus Christ that we are so, so, so yeah. valuable. Yeah. Yeah. You, me. If the value of something is dictated by the price we pay, then you and I are of the greatest possession to God yeah. because he paid yeah. the price yeah. with Jesus' life. Come on. Come on. This is the gospel. It's good news. Jesus redefined the new terms and conditions with which we can come to know God and have eternal life. As we look at red letters, as we look at all that God has done for us, as we look at all that Jesus has said, I think it's so pivotal that we start with this central point of everything that we believe. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came and saved you and I. Our part now, and brings us to that final point that we were looking at, Our part is to respond to this gospel. Our part is to respond to this good news. To repent and believe. 
Repentance means to, or to repent means to change, to have a change of mind and is best illustrated in the form of you were heading one way, but you do a 180 degree turn and you head another way. You were walking in sin and death and, and that's not to say it was your fault, but that's what you were brought into and you had a natural propensity and tendency just to keep going in that direction. But when we repent, when we realize what's available to us in the form of Jesus Christ, we can choose as a response to His Spirit, awakening our hearts to that, to repent and turn to Jesus. Then we realize that the kingdom of heaven is really actually at hand and is near because when we turn, we don't realize that God's some distant thing over there that we have to work our way towards, but we turn and realize that He's there, right there, arms wide open, the gospel, the good news in flesh, Jesus Christ available to you and for me, there. And we believe it. We say, God, I, I believe you. I, tr- I trust you that you are who you say you are and you did what you said you did and it doesn't just apply to the person sitting next to me, but it applies to me too. That's our part to play. Jesus has done everything else. God made a way through everything else. Our part is simply to respond. Tonight, I wanna give you that opportunity. Jesus is the personification of the kingdom of God and the gospel. He is the living Word of God. He was the original red letters, red for the blood that He shed so that your sin and my sin could be wiped clean and that we could now come and have relationship with God and eternal life, not just in this life, but in the life to come when Jesus comes back again. Tonight, I would love to give you that opportunity to respond to the gospel message. I've done my best to make it as clear as possible what what I believe Jesus has said in this single passage of Scripture. No matter how messy, no matter how far away, no matter what your past or your present, the gospel of Jesus Christ applies to you. It's available to you. It's for you. If you would like to believe the gospel, if you would like to repent tonight, I want to give you that opportunity with every head bowed, with every eye closed. This is such a significant moment and I'm believing right now that this this is a word for someone. Pastor Sam would be so impressed I'm running ahead of time. So we don't have to rush this moment. If that's you tonight, I'm not going to draw it out much longer than it needs to, but if that's you tonight, you want to respond to the gospel, then on the count of three, just do something real brave for me. Just stick up your hand and say, Dan, that's me. Maybe you've heard the message before, but it's never been alive to you like it has been tonight. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it and you need to respond. You've heard what Jesus has done for you and you need to make a response tonight. If that's you, ready on the count of three, just stick up your hand and say, Dan, that's me. One, two, three. Stick up your hand and say, yeah, Dan, that's me. Anyone here tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I thank you for every person in this room that we have at one point or another responded to your gospel. And we now live in the freedom that you gave in Christ Jesus. And so we want to thank you again and honour you again, Jesus, as the Lord and Saviour of our lives. You made a way where there was no way before. You finished it and it is done in you as of 2,000 years ago. And we now walk in victory and in strength because of what you did for us. 
Let us, as this month we walk through your words, let it become so alive in us that we take it into every sphere of influence that we have, God. Take it into our schools, into our workplaces, into our families and into our friendships, God, that the gospel would be so alive on the inside of us and it would be so real to us, God that we could say like the Apostle Paul in Romans, that, 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 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe. God, I pray that the gospel message would awaken something inside of us, that we could take this not only for ourselves, but to the world around us, and that we might unmistakably influence our world for good and for God. We pray all this in your mighty name. And everyone who agreed said... Amen and amen. Well, I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Um, we're going to be going through this. We'd love you to walk along this journey with us this month. Um, you can buy it from us. We-